What is up, everybody? Welcome to the 4 for Formula One podcast. As always, I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com, bringing you this week's Miami Grand Prix recap show. As always, going over uh, a quick recap of the race, the meat of the show, the DFS recap, and closing it out with some uh, betting and now underdog uh, lookbacks. So before we get into everything today, if you're watching on YouTube, you will see a new face, and that new face is our guest, Jennifer Akins, the fantasy football analyst and content manager at 444.com and the co-host of the Most Accurate Podcast. But even though she has been on many a 444 pod, making her DFS MVP debut. So, Jen, uh, first of all, welcome. Second of all, uh, tell those that have been in the DFS MVP streets but not elsewhere on 444 a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, it only took six years for you to get me on a DFS podcast, but I'm here. Um, but yeah, <laughs> we, needed I, uh, a, we needed a new sport <laughs> to get you on. We did. And it's kind of fun. It's exciting. You know, I probably like, I don't know, whatever, 80% of people that, that are getting into the sport um, yeah. watched it on Netflix, you know, yeah. and, and obviously you were a heavy influence in that because you've been obsessed for a while and made me watch it. Um, and I got into it. it. It's, you know, it's hard not to. I mean, it's really... It's interesting, especially when you kind of get that behind the scenes look. And, you know, it's interesting to kind of see, uh, you know, yeah, the, the, the intricacies of the sport. And it's just different. I've been involved in the football world for so long that uh, it's fun to kind of get your head out of that space and, and into something new. Um, this race in particular is fun. I grew up in Miami. I grew up probably 20 minutes from the fake marina that was the Hard Rock Stadium. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I grew up like 20 minutes away. So, I think it's cool. And I think Miami, you know, for being, uh, you know, one of the few U.S. cities, um, it's a perfect spot. I mean, it's yep. extremely multicultural. It's also super, you know, Miami people like to think they're super trendy. And I think F1 <laughs> is, has, has become trendy. So, uh, yeah, you know, that's kind of my thing. I've been, uh, like I said, I've been heavily involved in football, but it's fun to kind of dip my toes in this, uh, you know, get my, my uh, listen, I've been playing football, NFL DFS for quite a while, but um, this is a different animal, and yep. uh, I'm excited to kind of, you know, keep going with it. This is only, what, the fourth or fifth race so, of the yeah, season? Yeah, five so, races in. we still got uh, 18 to go. Yeah, and it seems like it's become popular enough that it's not going to fade away on these sites, so that's exciting as well. Yeah, I mean, if we compare it to something like um, – usfl that well, launched basically <laughs> at the same time i mean it's it's pretty much been the polar opposite um a lot of people have been unhappy with usfl the product has been uh from what i've heard extremely underwhelming i haven't looked at one second of it um f1 has get, been completely opposite i mean all of the contests have been filling uh people are super excited about it i think probably the only I, my guess would be the only reason we haven't seen DraftKings go super hard is just because they know that most of the time there are going to be um time constraints just because so many races take place in in europe or asia or elsewhere that the the vast majority of their their user base is obviously you uh u.s based so having races that start at, at you know sometimes early as 5 a.m depending on where you're located um is just going to make it difficult to to throw big uh prize pools I, we were hoping that they were going to go hard since miami we'll talk about it a little bit in the recap but they just went you know so the they they promoted it so much we were hoping we'd see some bigger price pools from um DraftKings, but they didn't do it. But um before we get into the recap, just want to remind everybody that 444 has teamed up with Run the Sims for projection tools and content for both Formula One and USFL DFS and betting. So make sure you go to runthesims.com and use a promo code 444 for 10% off of the USFL and F1 packages. And if you're paying attention, uh Justin, the founder, just Freeman, the founder of Run the Sims, took down their big USFL tournament yesterday. And four of the top five uh, scores in that tournament were from Run the Sims. So uh, he took down the 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 F1 uh, uh, two weeks ago, USFL yesterday. And I think that means it's our turn to take down a tournament. But the point is, USFL um, and F1 has been uh, crushing as far as Run the Sims is concerned. So make sure you click on that link in the description. But um, let's get into the uh, a quick race recap before we get into uh, the DFS portion of the show. And 
mixed reviews. I mean, it was again, it was a brand new race at Miami. I thought it was uh, really exciting just how much energy there was around the race, how much U.S. was embracing it, all the coverage. I mean, the, it was on ABC. Um, a lot of veteran fans and viewers uh, weren't excited with the TV coverage, didn't like the gaudiness of it, hated the fake marina, just all the glitz and glam, which I, I mean, I, I I guess I get if, you know, anytime you are, um, I, I guess it's like similar to when your favorite band blows up you're used to seeing them in 300 seaters and now you got to go see them in arenas and all all these new all these new fans and and they're on the radio um you know in top 40 instead so i i get that but what was kind of your your general takeaway not not even just the race but just the the spectacle of miami yeah i mean i knew that was going to be the case and i it did not surprise me one bit i thought the fake marina was kind of ridiculous yeah i, I understand their I, I guess you know the majority of people that don't know South Florida or didn't whatever they, they assume that everything's on the water and, and obviously where hard rock stadium is not anywhere near the water. So I guess they had to fake it. I, I thought it was silly that there were people actually on the boats partying in bikinis as if they were on the water when they're clearly just sitting in a parking lot of, of a stadium. So that was yeah. a little bit silly, um, but with Miami, you know, you're going to get celebrities and you're going to get all kinds of athletes and people that are going to be on the scene. And I think it's good for the sport. I don't, you know, for me, like I said earlier, I'm new as well. So I have no right to be mad about, you know, the band blowing up or, you know, Formula One blowing up because I'm new as well. So I expected it and it didn't really bother me per se. Yeah. I mean, for um, with, with DFS already being very popular and with betting, uh, you know, trending towards being federally legal soon. And, you know, so many states already have sports betting from from that perspective anything that's bringing attention to a sport that i'm invested in is exciting i, I want new fans i want people dabbling and betting in dfs um again I, I i get the uh your favorite band blows up uh, uh attitude i mean on top of the fake marina i mean there's fake beaches that if you saw the the <laughs> helicopter views of they had they had chicks in um in uh mermaid outfits in the swimming pools you know yeah you, you got to expect it and i missed that year, that's funny next, yeah next year we're getting vegas so i, I think it's going to be uh it, we're going to get a double down on, on the glitz and glam for for f1 but uh as far as the race went um again some people were, were somewhat underwhelmed with it i i mean once max got past uh charles um there there was a little bit of a battle at the end after the safety car um a, a lot i guess a lot of the perception of the race had to do with the tv coverage again just as a new fan as someone that had a ton of lineups going for dfs uh, i thought every second was exciting uh a lot of the um overtaking and and midfield action was uh taken away for shots of the crowd and, and replays and whatnot but I mean, just from a, a result standpoint, Max starts third on the grid, ends up winning. Um, Mercedes had really back and forth weekend. They end up finishing, both of them finishing top six with George Russell finishing fifth. Uh, they actually had a little bit of, of a battle there, George and Lewis, which was actually pretty fun to watch and even a little bit of controversy with uh, George going off the track. Uh, Austin Martin, uh, they were primed to have a really big race, uh, but it was ruined at the uh, before the race even started, both of their um, their their gas was too cold, so that made them start in the pits. Stroll actually recovered, recovered and still gets points. That had to do with um, Fernando Alonso having a penalty. Alpine was about to get double points with uh, Alonso and Esteban Ocon, both finishing top 10, but Alonso gets a five-second penalty, pushes him back to 11th, and Albon storms all the way from 18th to get points, finishing 9th. Probably not uh, unsurprising. We had three uh, DNFs. Um, not too many incidents, just that one with Lando. Uh, no, we had Lando and then Alonzo. Um, Alonzo had his. And then we had the uh, the the Vettel and um, Schumacher. Uh, but no no big incidents like people were thinking with, with this new track. Um, again, a lot of people thought, you know, maybe not as much action as they were expecting. This race did have the second most overtakes of any Grand Prix this season. Again, I think a little bit of the perception had to do with the TV coverage, but uh, you know, from, from a, a new viewer perspective, what'd you think of, of this race in Miami? 
You know, I, I thought obviously in the beginning, you know, Max overtaking, that was exciting because, you know, and it actually affected, I assume, a lot of DFS, right? A lot of yeah, people just assumed that, and, and rode with a lot of Charles lineups. And hopefully if you're smart enough, you threw some Max in there too. But uh, so that was kind of exciting from the get. And like you said, there was another little small power struggle at the end after the safety car, which was exciting. The rest of it, um, you know, it was exciting enough. I, I you know, I like more action, but I know yeah. when you when you go in the sport that you know exactly what you're getting. And that's kind of, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you know, a crash or two is always kind of fun. It's a little scary from a betting standpoint, obviously. You don't want too much to happen because, and you know, when you're building lineups, you, you try to accommodate for, you know, little things to happen here and there. Yeah. Um, major stuff, you know, causes a big you know, upheaval in people's lineups. But um, from just a pure watching perspective, um, there were moments of, you know, where I was ho- hoping that something more exciting were to happen. But I think when you have that, you know, that lead change in the beginning that actually affects, you know, a major part of the race, that, yep. you know, that was exciting enough to to keep my interest and keep me there. Yeah, I, I think the thing that we're, we're going to, um, we've kind of harped on it every week. And I think just because it is still such a new sport, especially to, to daily fantasy and to betting that uh, it, it's, we're, we did have some action early in the season with, with Max and, and Charles up front, but usually the big action is going to come from the midfield, and, and that's why playing DFS and betting is really fun because you are really tuned in to those uh, midfield battles and even even battles in the back. You know, if you're watching and um, you're you're a new fan and you're looking at these guys that are battling for these 15th through 20th spots obviously it seems like why would you care you just see the guy up front up by eight seconds and it seems boring but uh you know when when every little pass can be a swing of of hundreds or even thousands of dollars then it gets really fun uh so let's jump into um some of that that general uh dfs recap and and before we get into it i mean i i think it'll be really fun to get your perspective jen because you do represent the the vast majority of dfs players even on the football side of things um you're heavily involved in redraft that's your main focus you do play dfs play dfs very very successfully um but then with f1 i mean we got this this brand new beast even people that are playing 150 lineups every single week we're still kind of figuring this thing out and we're still getting some wrenches thrown at us uh from dk so let's kind of start with uh you representing the 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 masses here like just kind of how how do you attack DFS, whether it be in general or Formula One specifically, just kind of what's your what's your broad approach to to prepping for um, a, a weekly DFS game? Well, yeah, as you said, I am new to this particular sport, but even with NFL, no. I am not. Uh, when it comes to DFS, I'm not a very high roller. Um, yeah. I'm more there for the fun. I'm not going to yep. win life changing money. If I do, sure. that's amazing, but that is not my goal. So, especially with with Formula One, what I've kind of taken on the approach of um because there's there's so many like like you were saying right a lot of it is one in the middle and on the back end i think at least from what i've noticed especially with dfs because everyone is going to have those top guys so if you do go with like a stars and scrubs kind of situation it really depends on who you end up with in those scrubs and a lot of times those middle guys are the difference makers and a lot of times we don't have them like for example this week i kind of didn't have a lot of those middle guys i didn't have russell he was a little bit pricey for what you know, where he was starting out and, and he ended up doing okay. But there's guys like that, that I feel like are difference makers. So for me, when it comes to like building lineups, I kind of like to build a lot because there's, yeah. It, it's yeah. So, so I'll build a lot and then only enter them in a few lineups. And I find that that kind of makes it, I've been profitable that way. Like I said, I'm not winning life changing money, but at the same time, like this week, I think I had 10 or 12 lineups and, you know, I put each one in two or three contests and that's it. Yeah. You know, I just kind of, to feel it out and see what's going on. And I may adjust my strategy as we go on throughout the season, but for now I'm not, you know, like in football, I kind of go much less. I'll do like four or five lineups and then go heavy. Cause I'm more, I also more confident in my football lineups, but for I sure. feel like, yeah. So as someone that that's, that's playing smaller stakes, but still, I mean, there's a lot of people that play DFS that aren't building 
um, you know, 10 to 15 lineups right. is still quite a bit. Are, are you somebody that is like, are you, are you looking for smaller size contests? Um, just cause you, you are playing, you know, so few lineups compared to the people that are playing the highest volume. Are you looking for, um, smaller dollar lineups? So you can play your, your 15 lineups, say for 15, $30 and still, if it hits, turn it into two or three grand. Um, are you playing the biggest contests, or will you, will you throw those into like the, the main event and, and hopefully turn your, um, you know, 15 year lineups to throw a couple of those in there and hope to hit 25 K kind of, how are you approaching the game selection things when you're only playing um, a couple lineups a week? Yeah. I mean, luckily for, for F1, there isn't the variety that there is for NFL. So mm. you don't have as many options. So yeah. I find, like I said, I am playing for smaller stakes. So I will do, I look for the smaller dollar amounts um, yep. just to kind of get my feet wet. And then I'll try to throw, I mean, there's a couple I do mostly GPP just because I feel like it makes more sense. There are some yeah. cashings. I threw a couple on double ups this week just in case. I was like, okay, if if all else fails, I can at least get some some money back. Uh, but for the most part, I'm looking at like the dollar, two dollar, three dollar, and I'll throw just a couple lineups in each one and kind of see what sticks. Um, if I'm not feeling as confident in the week, if I didn't have time to do as much research, I may throw a couple in the fifty cent, you know, just to make yeah. sure I don't I don't go you know belly up, but. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, for Formula One, because there isn't as much variety, at least contest, you know, selection is not as, I think, at least from my perspective, it's not as important as it is in NFL. I know yeah. you're, you know, you preach very much on, on your contest selection in NFL, and it makes a huge difference. I think in F1, at least at the moment, um, it's kind of trying to figure out what's going to work as, as we move forward. Yeah, we, we don't have a, a ton of options to choose from. Um, they're only rolling out about 15 featured tournaments um, um, a week on DraftKings right now for Formula One. So like the the $1, um, their, their main $1, it's a it's a 20 max tournament with 9,500 entries, $8,000 prize pool. Um, you know, you, you could still turn that into 750 depending on the structure. Sometimes it's been a thousand bucks. So you could turn your, your $1, 15 lineups into a thousand dollars. There are some smaller contests. Um, they have a, you know, $3 buy-in, which is a three max contest with less than 1200 entries where um, the prize pool is 3k. Um, you're only, you know, first place is 300 bucks, but if you're playing, you know, 15, 20 bucks a week, turning that into 300 bucks is nothing right. to sneeze at. So, I mean, there, there are definitely some, um, you know, some limited options, but I, you know, I, I think some people, it's, it's important to note because some people might just log in and say they only have $15 to play with and, and they go after that um, $125,000 prize pool, that, but that only elicits them one lineup. So it's always, uh, you know, pretty interesting to, to see what, what other people are doing. So like as far as, um, you know, preparation and, and building lineups and, and really narrow, narrowing down your player pool and you are playing, you know, sometimes you're playing one lineup, sometimes you're playing 15. How, how would your contrast your style to somebody that um, is playing high volume? And I, I just mean that in terms of like one of the toughest things to do is narrow down your playing pool. If you're playing five bucks, five lineups and, and um, are you are you somebody that is more willing to, to take some big risks with your lineup? Are you, tr are you kind of trying to, to stay afloat and, um, and really not, not damage your bankroll too much? Or, or is it a thing where um, you're playing for first every week and, and if you have some reads where you're going to go uh, pretty hard on contrarian plays, you're still willing to do that? I think that's where building those extra, you know, five to 10 lineups mm -hmm. for me comes in because then I can't have that wiggle room to kind of play around and just, if randomly, you know, if the top three guys crash, you know, in lap six, then all of a sudden, you know, these random lineups that I've built might, you know, come to fruition. So For sure. that's why I think in, in F1, from what I've been able to do, I just kind of build an extra few just to build in that crazy what if. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and by only playing a couple bucks for each one, it's kind of like, okay, I can make it up otherwise with my more stable lineups, lineups that we For know sure. are probably going to hit. Uh, you know, it's like I just said earlier, it's kind of difficult to, you know, I think that because it's so top heavy as far as the field, I mean, we yeah. know kind of you, you kind of have to do the stars and scrubs in order to get it going, but you have to kind of limit your player pool. Unfortunately, it limits your player pool, right? Yeah. Because you're kind of like, okay, I either have, you know, one of like four guys at the bottom that I have to use rotate in and out. I'll do two guys this time. I'll do two guys that time. And so sometimes I'll make a couple lineups with none of those guys and just go like all kind of middle just in case something pans out. 
Yeah, I, I mean, no matter what you do in DFS, you're never going to be able to cover all your bases. And if you if you do try to do that, um, you're probably going to end up being a losing player because you're just kind of middling all of your action. Uh, I, you, you mentioned the 50-50s. I, I do think it is... Um, it is interesting to just kind of pay attention to those because I think people click on the, the featured lineups tab and, and just or featured contest tab and just end up playing whatever they see there. And I, I don't like the word hedge in DFS because I, I think it is a, a losing mentality to think about hedging. But I, I do think there are ways you could maximize your bankroll and, and maximize your floor when you are um playing you know if you're somebody that is a, a tournament only player and for formula one that's kind of our only option right now they do have some head-to-heads but I, I don't think it makes sense to be playing those right now but you know if, if you're playing say you know four or five four dollar lineups um you can go in and throw those in you know throw those all those lineups in a two dollar fifty fifty if you have a couple bucks left over uh you know because if if it's only paying out, you know, 20 to 25% of the field, but you have a, a top 50% lineup. At least you kind of recoup a couple dollars um, there. So uh, another thing before we get into the DFS recap, I mean, as somebody that does just dabble in DFS, but, you know, plays it somewhat seriously during uh, football season, I, I want to ask you your advice for people starting out in DFS or whether it's F1 or just DFS in general, because I, I think it's for myself, it's kind of like uh, seeing the forest through the trees Type deal it can be tough for me to see the um, blind spots of somebody that's coming to dfs very green I, I mean there's so many things to me that are second nature that to some people um you know are are foreign concepts and not to say that i'm that great or anything but it's just a function of being so deeply involved in it uh what would you tell people that um are, are just kind of clicking onto DraftKings for the first time for formula one well i would say first of all uh to read read articles read stuff that you've written because yeah. there are articles on four for four general dfs things and Super like you important. said you are yeah you know, you've been around it a long time you were very entrenched in it and you have very good advice on just basics and that's what i did i mean when i first started i talked to you a lot i've read things that you've written so that you don't go in there blindly so that Absolutely. you do you know make the right choices when it comes to contests when it comes to what you're doing because if you just go in there I mean, it's like Vegas, right? I mean, it's all, I mean, yeah. DK, I mean, they're there. They're going to take your money. I mean, you can't just blindly mm -hmm. walk in there and make a ton of money. It's just not going to happen. Um, it may happen once, but it's not going to happen again. So I feel like you have to kind of at least understand what you're getting yourself into and, and just familiarize yourself with a lot of it. I mean, with F1, I feel like I'm still at that point where I'm trying to familiarize myself. Uh, but, you know, learning the sport itself too helps. And, and DK, you know, it's not just... I know people compare F1 to say like a one slate NFL kind of showdown situation. And, and I guess it is in a way as far as strategy, but you know, the point structure for at least on DK for F1 is, you know, it, it plays a factor. I mean, yeah. there are specific points for specific things. It's not just, you know, cut and dry like an NFL where you get okay exactly. yards and touchdowns yep. or whatever. So, and those things do come into play. So you have to kind of at least, you know, familiarize yourself with the point structure before you go in there and build lineups. Yeah, um, the the first thing you mentioned was just the basically general DFS theory, and on four for four, we have a, a full theory section in our DFS strategy hub that it's it's centered around football, but it's really just looking at topics like bankroll management, like understanding the lobbies, um, just like understanding general game theory aspects that you know, can relate to any type of game where you're playing against an opponent, uh, things like that, and that's why I was confident to start a, a a podcast and and work with rather sims for formula one it being a new sport obviously none of us know formula one nearly as much as as uh those that have watched it for years those that are involved in formula one none of us are going to be good at predicting formula one outcomes because we don't have that background but with a a solid dfs background understanding of dfs we can go into a, a new game and formula one is still very much a new game. We've still only had five weeks of it ever uh, and have an advantage over the field because we understand basic DFS concepts. So that's really what we're trying to drive home here. None of us are trying to um, are claiming to be F1 experts, but we, we can find these edges in the betting and DFS markets uh, j just understanding what is happening and understanding trends. Um, I, I think that's important. Uh, so let, let's jump into what we thought was going to work in, in DFS and what actually worked. And, and we saw one of the biggest changes we saw um, 
all year really, but but that really switched up what we we had done for the first four races compared to this week in Miami was the change to the high price drivers. DraftKings priced up uh, Max and Charles and basically just Ferrari and Red Bull in general to a point where it was not almost impossible. You couldn't afford uh, Max and Charles together with Ferrari Red Bull's constructor if you used Max or Charles as the captain. So the exciting thing was that it really forced you to really think about your lineups, make a decision for the first four weeks. It was basically how many Max Charles lineups you're going to have with one of them in the captain. And then what are you going to do in the lineups you fade? And are they going to finish for second or are they not this week? It was so much different. It was, are you going to use them together as a, in the driver position? Are you going to use an alternate captain? I, I still don't think constructors pressed high enough to really consider alternate um, constructors, at least for a heavy percentage of your builds, but it really forced you to consider uh, how it was going to change your builds. And it, I, I don't know if it was an algorithm thing from DraftKings. I don't know if it was because they heard people like myself and Justin um, clamoring for this. I mean, it is still obviously one of their niche sports. I don't know how much they care about the fine tuning these nuances, but it did change. So again, I, I don't know if they're just like their algorithms, just counting dupes compared to the field and, and saying it's too much so it changes or if they went there and manually changed it either way it changed so um did, did you notice a pretty big difference building lineups this week just like and, and i don't want to say muscle memory because again we only have four race race um sample size going into it but you, you start to you fall into some uh trends pretty quick and, and some stylistic things of what you're doing so how did you feel building without um being able to just jam those guys and figure out the rest it was difficult. And I feel like I, I feel like the product or, or my profit suffered because yeah. like I said, I had to jam these, you know, I wanted to get Max and Charles in pretty much every lineup. And then I found myself kind of with, you know, Latifi and, and, and these guys that I, it was the same ones over and over again. Cause it was every time I ended up with like, I had to do a $3,400 guy and a 3,200 yep. and you're just kind of screwed and you have to change your mentality and try to, to get in some of those middle guys because they do make a difference. I feel like, you know, I didn't check out all the winning lineups on the site, but I would assume that having guys that ended up, you know, those middle guys that ended up moving up that I didn't have uh, probably made a difference. You know, I didn't really have Ocon and Albon in a lot of yep. places because they, they were tough to fit in and they ended up, you know, with points. And so I think that, um, like you said, it's kind of muscle memory be like, okay, Charles, Max, Red Bull or Ferrari, and then what? And then you're kind of like, you are you don't have a lot of money left to play with. So I think if they're going to continue to do that, we're going to have to kind of play around and try to uh, adjust. Yeah, the the really, um, what, what I thought made it exciting wasn't not just that you can't just jam them into your, your captain spot for 80% of your lineups like everybody was doing. You also had it brought all of the field into play. So for the first four weeks or the first four races of the season, as you mentioned, the, the midfield guys and the higher price midfield guys, it was basically impossible to play them. I mean, George Russell has been uh, Dan's called him the MVP of DFS. But outside of him, anybody that has been priced in like seven thousand to nine thousand dollar range has been you haven't been able to use them now without using Max and Charles together. It's really brought those guys into play. And we saw it with the Mercedes guys being very viable. I believe Russell was in the winning lineup. Um, and it also made us switch up the idea of, as I mentioned, something we hadn't done all season, playing Charles and Max together, uh, but not with one of them in the captain position. I mentioned on the preview pod that I did some quick math and that there were scenarios where playing them together with an alternate captain was actually a higher ceiling uh, than some of the builds that had just one of them uh, with one of them as captain. And as we'll see when we get to the results, that that kind of played out to a, an extent. Um, before we get into the actual results, I mean, the things, the other things we talked about, myself and Dan on the previous show, was we thought we should... Um, start playing or at least this week we should play less captain and constructor stacks because with the viability of alternate um captains but Ferrari and red bull still being obvious choices at constructor it should have just went that way did you find yourself building fewer captain constructor stacks or with you're only playing 10 15 lineups where you kind of just like let me play max or charles with red bull captain um and, and and their their um their team in the constructor spot 
Yeah, I kind of, I kind of stayed with the stacks. I mean, I, I, I made sure I didn't do it for everything. You know, sure. I, I definitely had a few lineups where I had a completely different constructor, or I mixed them up. Uh, you know, way, the way the pricing was, it was, you know, Red Bull. Red Bull was more expensive, right? I'm trying to like, yeah, Red Bull. Was uh, Red Bull is more expensive constructor, yeah. Right, they were the higher of that. So I was trying to like, I had a lot of Charles and Ferrari for that reason. Yep. Um, I did, I did obviously put in a little bit of the Max and Red Bull, and then I tried to mix it up and. Um, it's really hard to not click that button. You know, it's really hard to pick another constructor. I know we have to, and I know it yeah. makes sense for the process, but mentally when you're sitting there hand building lineups, it's really difficult to, you know, click Aston Martin or, or you know, Mercedes knowing kind of where they're starting and, and how it's been so far this season. But I think we have to do it and we have to continue to do it. Yeah. Uh, the, the, at least this week, the thing we talked about myself and Dan was that if you're going to build um, an alternate captain lineup, it, it for the most part should have been to get to Max and Charles in your driver's um, spots together. It, it didn't make much sense to have an alternate captain and, and not play them. Like there were a couple, I guess you could sprinkle in some, some signs and Sergio captain lineups. Um, and the only reason I, I was playing other constructors, those were actually captain constructors because we are going to have random races where somebody random wins. It'll happen once or twice this season. So you want to give yourself a, a one or 2% out. So I had a couple Lewis Mercedes stacks, um, Russell Mercedes stacks. I think I had a, a, a Lando um, McLaren stack. I had a Valtteri um, uh, Alfa Romeo stack, but those are those are very few and far between. Um, but you want to give yourself out. So other things we talked about on the podcast that we wanted to target. Um, we wanted to leverage uh, Ocon starting from the back. Anytime you could get a car that has shown very good pace that is starting from the back, uh, not even from bad qualifying, from bad luck, not even getting to qualify, there's a, going to be a lot of upside in terms of that driver being able to climb the grid. Uh, we were fading Haas pretty hard. We just didn't like what we saw from them all weekend. We were pretty heavy on Albon over Latifi, which isn't always the case because they're priced uh, so close together that um, oftentimes that even though Albon's been the much better driver, you can get that plus five from Latifi, but Albon was just showing, showing so much pace over the weekend. Um, there, there was a weird dichotomy in Mercedes because they were actually just what we thought was very overvalued in betting markets, but because of the way salaries played out, it actually made a lot of sense to have quite a bit of exposure to them um, in DFS builds. And then the other thing we said, we just wanted to mix up that midfield as much as possible. One, because you could just play so many of those midfield guys with the change in salaries. And we were just expecting um, a lot of variance in this race with it being a new track, with there possibly being rain during the race, with there being rain before the race, with how much spinning we saw um, over the um early in the weekend so was there any like one big flag that you planted going into the weekend outside of, of the red bull or ferrari guys no and i actually wish i would have <laughs> some of the things you just mentioned i wish i would have actually known because i didn't and i made some of those yeah. uh some of those mistakes that i didn't um i definitely i faded albon um yeah. oh, and I, and I should have, I had way too much Latifi uh, in, in that situation. And I wish I would have kind of mixed that up. Uh, but no, I mean, I didn't really, unfortunately this race, uh, I kind of went pretty, I mean, basic, like I said, other than the few random, you know, chaos lineups that I did, I kind of stuck to Mercedes and Ferrari and then sprinkled in what I could. Um, but, yeah. you know, like we said, the reason this is all new and, and we're all learning our lessons. So now I know that I definitely have to try to incorporate some of those middle guys because they do uh, make a difference. And they also can separate you from the pack. I mean, it makes sense, right? There's a lot of dupes and a lot of people, you know, based on, of course, how the races have started this, this season are going to do that. You know, you got to jam those two, those two top guys in no matter what. And you know, you don't want to lose out on those five points. So you want to try to get the guy that, that finishes ahead. And so I think that by kind of switching your mentality a little bit, it, it can make a difference. And that's kind of my, my mentality going forward is I, I need to kind of pay more attention to, uh, you know, narratives that I might have kind of briefly glanced over uh, in the weeks past. Yeah. And we don't want to be a results pace. Two things you mentioned is, um, earlier you talked about just understanding the the scoring format of these games and then looking at something like you know having too much latifi i mean latifi is he's going to be um 
he's never going to have like climbing great equity or or very rarely he's just kind of always going to, to to finish at the back and if you're playing him you're hoping that something happens to albon or they have like a 1920 finish where latifi gets you five points for finishing 19th over albon's 20th but what what i i think and and this is probably where it's almost a blessing to be a new player uh, and not understanding the sport completely and can't be overconfident in your projections because I think, and I think some people are already falling into this trap um, just based on Latifi's ownership percentages. I, I know people are in NFL. We know the game so well, we, we, we think we confident uh, can pro- uh, project it very confidently. And in DFS terms, you get overconfident and don't have proper exposures to players just understanding the basis of DFS scoring, the the value of Latifi, as long as salaries stay as they are, is if he's $3,000, he's going to be the key to unlocking like absolute ceiling builds. If you want to get whatever, like the, you know, jam in for the top five drivers, oftentimes it's going to, to happen um, with Latifi or, or for the top five drivers in terms of how you think they're going to finish. That three thousand dollars, he's not. Gonna, he has no negative point equity because he's always starting from the back. So he's not going to even like you get a guy that's thirty two hundred and he qualifies tenth. He has a lot of negative point equity because he's thirty two hundred because he's you know in, in a car that's been slower had a really good qualifying. We haven't seen that from Latifi, but we have seen winning lineups with Latifi with a zero in it, and that's because he lets you access the absolute ceiling of your other guys, and and that's something that I think people struggle with in NFL DFS. The, the stars and scrubs approach, even in the NFL millionaire where you're playing hundred, against hundreds of thousands of lineups, you're playing for a million dollars. We still see lineups that can win that tournament with a zero from the roster. Now, this is obviously a little bit different. The combinations are far less in, in F1. You're playing fewer roster spots, but the point remains just understanding the, the upside of the top guys in, um, I, I don't want to say any sport because I only play two, but in these two sports really can overwhelm uh, the field and, and let you uh, roster someone like Latifi. So um, I, I wouldn't say just like look at that one result and, and think you made a huge mistake, but just understanding um, how, how that kind of fits into how we're building our lineups. Uh, so let's jump into uh, the what actually worked in DFS. And there might be a little controversy still. Um, as as of this, the beginning of this recording, results still haven't went official. Um, I, I don't know if they have since we started. And I think there might be, yeah, they still haven't went official. So I think there's possibly some decision that DraftKings is trying to make on what they are going to do for the Austin Martin. So at the beginning of the race, Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel started 10 and 13th on their warm-up laps, uh, found out their fuel was uh, too cold, so it made them start in the pit. That's something they look for before the race starts. So they started in the pit, but as far as DraftKings, the grid was concerned, they were still starting 10th and 13th. I don't know what the official F1 rule is on that, but as far as DraftKings goes, it says that any post-qualifying penalties will be applied to their starting grid position. So there was some confusion as to whether they were officially starting 10th and 13th or 19th and 20th. Um, the there it isn't super clear right now what DraftKings is going to do with that. So maybe some people that think they have uh, a few less dollars might end up with a couple more. What we've typically seen from the dfs sites when there is this ambiguity in these scenarios they'll give the user the benefit of the doubt they'll typically pay um you like whether you lost like your your um buy-in back or something like that they'll eat the mistake or eat the ambiguity in the rule tbd for now the winning lineup yesterday if we could get that thrown up if we got dan to throw that up um was max captain George Russell, Esteban Ocon, Alex Albon, Lance Stroll, who is in the middle of that DK controversy, and Red Bull Constructor. That lineup was chopped two ways. Um, that really fit in nicely with with uh, what we were talking about on the pod, at least in terms of the low-owned Ocon and leaning into some of that George Russell upside. Uh, we were obviously heavier on Ferrari, but uh, if you were rotating in max like you should have been um you, you probably had some kind of max red bull with cheap guys build uh unfortunately um 
I wasn't heavy enough on Ocon. I, I thought I was overweight on him and his ownership percentage came in a little bit higher than we thought, but still sub 20%. So, um, you know, in retrospect, if I would have known he would have came in at 18 or 19 or whatever it was, I probably would have ended up with him in like a quarter of my lineups. I thought having him in 10 to 15 lineups would have, um, uh, 10 to 15% of lineups would have been enough. Um, but I think we were we were kind of on the right track. How, when you look at this lineup, uh, Jen, what what was your how, how close were you to something like this, or, or what stands out to you that just kind of um, didn't come into your consciousness when you were building? Uh, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, unfortunately, like those middle guys, like Russell and Ocon, I just I didn't have them at all because I couldn't figure out a way to get you know those salaries in there. Uh, so I just, I missed the boat on both those guys. So I wasn't really yeah. close. I was actually, while, while you were just talking, I was trying to find my, um, my lineups and they're not here. I don't know if it's because they're oh, okay. still figuring stuff out, yeah, yeah. They're but still, uh, I think that's probably the lineups are totally gone. Cause I wanted to see how close I came to that 161. Cause I did have a couple decent, you know, mid, mid hundred lineups. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately I just, uh, I went too, too heavy on stars and scrubs and did not fill out any my lineups with a lot of those middle guys and so i missed i missed the boat on those guys unfortunately um it's a good lineup you know looking back of course they all are right in retrospect you're like oh yeah that makes sense uh but yeah i didn't have nearly enough of those middle tier guys and uh in in my lineups one, one of the big mistakes that that i made this week um was uh the our sims had us pretty much on par with using max as our captain um so i only ended up with max in about 12 percent of my captain spots kind of thinking about it just from a um uh just from a, a game theory standpoint i think anytime we and i i actually i didn't think max would come in this low I, I still thought the field would give him some credit so i was actually trying to be underweight on max compared to the field if i knew the field was only going to be at 14 percent on max and realize how in terms of max in their captain spot and realize how easy it would have been to be overweight on him i, I think i would have been a little more aggressive in number of max labs i thought that the field would be close to like 20 or 25 percent which would have made me had to be like put a third of my max lineups in uh captain so uh it, it was just kind of a underweight over underweight decision uh Anytime we can get Max or Charles projected for, if we're going to project them for 10 to 15% ownership in the captain, I think that's always going to be a pretty good spot to be overweight on regardless of um, the weekend or where they're starting, assuming they're starting in, in the top three or four. Um, obviously, if they're starting back at like 10 or something. So I I, I was surprised um, by that there. Um, I, I mentioned, and, and we could roll through this pretty quickly, that the other uh, nuances of the week, but I mentioned that on the podcast with Dan and, and Jen, you mentioned that you leaned into the Captain Constructor stack pretty hard. Um, we thought that it should fall off this week in our builds. What we saw this week was 77 uh, of the top 1% teams in the large field GPP only 77, and I say only because of the previous weeks, only 77% of the top 1% teams used a captain constructor stack. That's down from 95% over the first four weeks. So an 18% drop there. The lineups that cashed, only 70, 76% of them used a captain constructor stack. That was down um I'm, I'm sorry, 56. That was down from 70 per six. So a 20, so a 20% drop there. Interestingly. And this is why we're looking for why we're talking about DFS theory and, and looking for these, you know, non-projection edges. It actually increased in the field. So if you were in tune with what was happening, one of the biggest edges that you could have found was to get off of these captain constructors. Obviously, it won the tournament, but four of the top six lineups didn't have a captain constructor. Um, the field increased by almost 10% in terms of using captain constructor. So understanding these lineup building nuances, thinking about how you're gonna change your portfolio. We still had a, a bunch of them still, you know, still I, I think 35% of my lineups had captain constructor, but that was down from like 50% that I've been using every other week. Um, so the field made a huge error. The lineups that did well, um, made that adjustment. Um, so I, I think looking at things like that is very important. Um, 
the only really other big things that that I notice in terms of what changed from the Miami field, again, with the really big changes in salary structure compared to the first four weeks, it seems like the viability of leaving $1,000 or more on the table might have went down a little bit. That kind of intuitively makes sense because, again, in the first four weeks, it's been like, are you going to play Max and Charles together with one of them at captain and you, you're kind of forced to leave? use all of your salary or are you just going to fade them and then you automatically are leaving like $1,500 on the table with this bringing in those midfield guys into play um, you're not going all the way up to Maxa Charles but you are gaining a lot of equity by moving up in salary so this is a lot more analogous to an NFL build where you're really you're if you're giving up like a thousand dollars in salary just to go down to like a worse running back for the sake of being different, um, it doesn't make sense. So if you can get up to a a George Russell from a Pierre Gasly, it didn't make sense to fade that just for the sake of leaving salary on the table. Whereas in the past weeks, if you have a Charles or a Max lineup, but you could leave a thousand dollars on the salary on on the table, that made a ton of sense. Um, not too many other notes on, on what changed. I, I think maybe now if salaries stay the same, I think our target cumulative ownership for tournaments should be somewhere in the like 150 to sub 200 range. The top, uh, the, the winner was at 153% cumulative ownership going into the week. The average for the top 1% of lineups was 211%. And again, that's just because so many good lineups had Max and Charles together. It's harder to do that, so intuitively the uh, cumulative ownership should drop for lineups that are doing better. Um, any any last thoughts on on DFS, Jen? No, I mean I, I think that uh, we've covered a lot of it. We covered a lot of the race. I think that uh, you know figuring all this stuff out as the season goes on is is going to be you know paramount for us to kind of figure out. And everyone else is doing the same thing, you know, trying to figure it out and trying to get an edge. But I think because it's new to everyone. Uh, you know, it's exciting to kind of get out there and figure it out. Yeah. Um, going into uh, the week, uh, once one place we did see action ramp up a little bit um, was in the betting markets. We saw um, Dan threw out some pretty uh, funny Vandal bets that, that they tried to put out. I don't remember exactly what it was, but they had some um, – some matchup bets that didn't that that didn't even match up with like their odds on on the driver, but there was a little more action available both on DraftKings and FanDuel in the Formula One markets. And then Underdog launched their product, which is really exciting because that's a pick'em, uh, and, and I think that's a really fun game that is a mix of DFS and. Um, betting even if you don't live in a legal betting state that you can play so uh did did you fire off any any good bets this weekend or, or just any general notes that you've seen from the formula one betting market so far this year yeah it's interesting like you said you know underdog unfortunately i do live in a legal betting state but i cannot play underdog pick them so that's a little bit frustrating but i do like to i do like to place bets and you know this week unfortunately i kind of i got a late start and i didn't place any good bets prior to the race I did jump on, um, you know, DK gives really good boosts, you know, profit boosts. So I jumped on a, you know, mid mid race uh, boost, and I just grabbed uh, Max as the fastest lap, and you know, I boosted it up to I think plus like one eighteen, and it was about an hour into the race, but it actually helped me in the long run, and I doubled I doubled my money there. So I like those. I usually, you know. They're limited right now on what they offer as far as betting, but it's fun. You know, you can pick on, you know, how many how many races or how many cars will classified or not. Um, the, the the odds on that were a lot better when the season started. They're getting a little bit to where it doesn't really make sense to bet those anymore. Um, I, I hit those a couple times early in the season, but now they're all kind of negative money, so it doesn't really make sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, this week I didn't do too much. But uh, I do like to usually jump in early in the week and get uh, some podium stuff in there because those odds are usually okay. And, and those are usually, <clears throat> unless something crazy happens, we can kind of get, you know, we can kind of know what's going to happen there. So um, I did notice, though, that there's some, uh, there's some futures that are up, which I think are kind of fun. Uh, there's, <clears throat> for right now at least, uh, for the F1, you know, world champ, you can still get Charles a plus money. And so I think, you know, I mean – we don't know what's going to happen down the stretch, but no, you got the, the, the points leader at plus money. I mean, obviously Max, uh, 
you know, yeah. has won every race that he's started, but, um, <laughs> but I mean that he's finished, I'm sorry, but, uh, if you can get the, the leader at plus money, I, I think that's a pretty good bet. Um, as far as underdog went, we had a really good qualifying, um, 50% profit, uh, didn't give it all back, but but gave some of it back um, on race day. Ended up with a break-even week. Um, we were really fading Mercedes, uh, especially in qualifying. They just had some uh, atrocious lines. After uh, Mercedes had a good practice session, they were uh, they had uh, George Russell's over under qualifying position at three. Um, they had Lewis's at five and a half. And and when you consider the fact that like most of the time. Ferrari and Red Bull are going to lock out the top four places. Those were just egregious lines. So hammering those going into qualifying was pretty easy. Uh, I, I think Mercedes kind of had their um, the the best possible finish to their weekend this week. So that killed a lot of our um, race day bets. A lot of it was um, based on George not moving up seven positions or whatever and lewis not having basically the best race possible they did have a, a really bad line on over under lewis hamilton laps led at 0.5 so i think at this point anytime they have a a non-ferrari or red bull line for laps led i think we could comfortably bet the under every time on that on underdog so uh did hit our our that with um stroll finishing under 12 and a half so that was a nice little hit to keep us a float on the weekend um any any last thoughts before we get out of here no I, i'm i'm you know i'm excited to, to finally be here and do this with you and yeah, uh, i'm excited to kind of crank this out you know for the rest of the season and it's a it's a fantastic distraction uh during the off season love it yeah I, i'm i'm glad you hopped on because i i think you uh you represent the majority of listeners and players and, and i know sometimes i could get into the the technical weeds a little bit so it's nice to reel it in a little and and uh and talk to you about dfs um we get another weekend off um, for us to either lick our wounds or to uh, come back as strong as ever and keep winning some cash in two weeks with the preview show for the Spanish Grand Prix. That will be back to a Saturday show as usual. Um, don't forget the Run the Sims deal. Go to runthesims.com and use the promo code 4 for 4 to get 10% off USFL and Formula One projections, tools, and content. Or you can click on the link in the description. And if you're interested in that under dog action that i was talking about you can get a free four for four pro subscription if you are a new underdog user and deposit at least ten dollars on underdog using the promo code four for four and you'll get a deposit match up to one hundred dollars just click on the link in the description for that as well and make sure you are checking out the four for four betting plan we have a uh, a major next week, the PGA Championship. So four for four, and Bet Spurts Golf will be going in on that. We just had our betting guru Ryan Noonan ship a forty to one uh, outright on um, Homa this week. So hopefully we can keep that rolling into the major weekend. Make sure you're checking out um, our other partners like Dynasty League Football and Fantasy Life app. If you go to Dynasty League Football right now, you could sign up for the Bet Spurts bundle, get access to four for four DLF Fantasy Life app. And Betsperts for just $99 instead of $209 for all of those. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe to our channel. If you're listening on your favorite podcast provider, please give us a five-star rating and review. And make sure you are following all of us on Twitter. 4 for 4 is at 4 for 4 football All the good Betsperts stuff right now is at Betsperts Golf. Jennifer is at the Monday Mommy. Run the Sims is at Run the Sims. I'm at TJ Hernandez. We'll be back in two weeks. Talk to you guys later.